from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, a land-grant, space-grant, R1 research institution. Learn more at wvu.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. Tonight, a conversation with House Finance leadership about the budget bill they passed out yesterday, a budget with some key differences in spending priorities than that of the Senate. We'll have a conversation with the House Finance Vice Chair and Minority Chair later in the program. But first, reporter Emily Allen joins me. Thanks for being here, Emily. Thank you. One of those key differences in spending is of course the foster care bill. And the bill got out of Senate finance last night, a very different bill than the original House bill uh, 4092 that came over. It's on third reading with the right to amend in the Senate at this point. Tell us about those differences. Yeah, so originally House Bill 4092, which I should say has been in the House a long time, went through three committees, bipartisan support. Um, it had a fiscal note from the Department of Health and Human Resources, which is in charge of foster care, of $16.9 million. A hefty portion of that was a provision in the original version of the bill that would have increased monthly payments to families per child from $600 a month to $900 a month. Um, because, you know, something that the legislature and the House of Delegates has heard from families is that, you know, the financial support isn't there. It's not enough. So the Senate version of the bill, which started this week, um, cut that back. It just had $4.9 million, I think that's the most recent version, give to the DHHR to implement a tiered system of support. Um, obviously, that doesn't automatically equate to increased direct payments. So uh, this next person you're going to hear from is Delegate Jeffrey Pack, a Republican from Raleigh County. County. Uh, he's vice chair of the health committee and he's a co-sponsor of this bill. He actually testified to the Judiciary Committee Tuesday night when they were considering some of these changes. Um, this is what he had to say about the changes in the bill. I would suggest that I'm not certain that the product before you, i.e. the strike and insert, necessarily addresses the problem in an effective fashion. Um, and, and perhaps, perhaps the House version is not perfect either. In fact, I'm certain that it's not. Um, I would suggest, though, that I do have concerns as to how, um, how these problems that have been identified wholly across the state, how those are addressed um, adequately through the strike and insert. And uh, of course, you said it was on third reading. We talked to Delegate Pack today. He says that he anticipates or he hopes there will be some compromise because that 4.9 million uh, amount in his mind isn't enough. And we'll see uh, amendments tomorrow. The Democrats have, yes, have already lined up to Yes, some Democrats are trying to, to reinstate that funding. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Exactly. Now, over in the House today, another important bill, um, something else we want to talk about, Senate Bill 793. Now, this has to do with B&O taxes, 
currently paid by certain coal-fired uh, electric power plants. Yeah. Tell us about it. Um, so it, it, technically it, it's, um, it allows the coal-powered plants to update their taxable um, capacity, you know, the, the amount that they produce that's taxable because they're not running as much. Um, so obviously there's an energy-related debate on this. We have an environmental scientist in the House of Delegates, uh, Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Montgalia County you're going to hear from next. Also, um, the person explaining the bill was Delegate uh, Linville from Cabell County. He's going to explain how um, the bill uh, is supposed to lead to decreased payments for um, rate payers. Uh, so there's a debate kind of about who this break was actually for. Here's their uh, correspondence now. Taking steps like this are bucking the free market. The, the free market has changed. The economics of coal has changed. These newer natural gas-fired power plants generate electricity much cheaper than our coal-fired power plants. Renewables are generating electricity much cheaper than our coal-fired power plants because they have no fuel costs. The sun just has to shine or the wind has to blow and that's free. So they can generate without any fuel costs. So they're always in the money. The natural gas plants are always in the money and West Virginia coal-fired power plants are only in the money half the time. So I'm afraid that this leg legislation, should it pass, won't really impact that because we're very far along in that story now. We're very far along in that. What it will do is decrease the amount of revenues we have to take care of our priorities by millions of dollars a year. But it what it won't do is change the underlying economics that our West Virginia power plants are being subject to. This is an attempt to keep some of these power plants continuing to operate, okay? Um, if, if the regulated utility companies were to uh, opt in on this, um, they have to commit to keep them open uh, through 2025, July 1, 2025. Um, and we've heard in this body a number of times about the total number of jobs that are ascribed to any single particular power plant. We heard a lot about the Pleasance power plant. We heard a lot about the downstream jobs. Um, this is a jobs bill. But more than anything, this is a bill where the consequence of, of it is um, that, that these savings must be passed on to the, to the electric rate consumers for any of these plants that are owned by a regulated electric utility. So there's been a lot of discussion in this body that, oh, you voted for an electric rate increase or, you, or, or any of those sorts of things or, or uh, that they just filed for an electric rate increase. This is your opportunity to vote for an electric rate decrease. So that bill passed. And it's a sampling of the, the back and forth that we've heard a lot throughout this session. And there was the solar bill yesterday. Uh, they said that that would lead to increased uh, payments for ratepayers. So it's, it's really been this whole energy-related conversation. In that All right. House. And both chambers are, are back in this evening and uh, long days to come the last two days. Thank you so much, Emily. The Senate has received the, the House's version of the budget bill, and members of both chambers are predicting a showdown over some of the key differences. Those include the House's 16 million spending increase for the foster care, which we just discussed. The Senate also wanted 7 million for a new intermediate courts uh, appeals court, and almost 3 million for judicial pay raises, which are not part of the budget bill the House sent over. All of this will have to be resolved. Earlier today, we spoke with the House Finance Vice Chair, Vernon Chris, 
and Finance Minority Chair Mick Bates about their bill and the negotiations to come with the Senate. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking time out of a very busy day for a few minutes to, to talk to us about what you sent over to the Senate yesterday. Um, but before, before we talk about the House version of the budget, um, let's first talk about today, uh, these morning sessions, both chambers are still voting on bills that have a fiscal note, that have a fiscal impact, and like what we're going to be talking about, you're, you've sent your bill, your, your budget bill, over to the Senate. Sure. How, how does that work, uh, Delegate well, Chris? you got to remember that there are three separate budget bills that, it, that have floated into this operation over the last 50-some days. The governor's original from the state of the state, the Senate's version, and the House version. And at some point here in the next two days, they will gel into uh, a, a compromise of some type uh, so that then both bodies will have an opportunity to take a look at, at a compromise situation. Delegate so, Bates? So both bodies pass a budget based upon the legislation that they have, they have passed or anticipate passing. Right. So um, there are a couple of pieces of legislation, specifically the foster care bill that's in limbo right now, that um, is built into the House's budget as a pretty substantial piece. Um, so that bill needs to be worked out and that'll be worked out probably through a conference committee. Uh, and then it's a matter of reconciling those line items. So um, to do that, you've really got to have a side-by-side-by-side. You've got to be able to line these things up. And there are a lot of places where the Senate budget and the House budget actually do line up. So those issues, they all come off the table. And it really comes down to those individual line items and saying, okay, is there a place where we can meet in the middle? And that's done through, um, uh, typically through an amendment to an amendment. The last couple of years, historically what we've done is have budget week where that's been a very open and transparent process. And, and we actually extend for a couple of days, we come in and we close out sections of the budget. The last two years, this hasn't happened. So are you saying you'd rather it not happen this way, the way, it, I, I the way it's are, occurred the I, last couple of years? I think that we can years. do it this way as long as that method continues to be transparent as well. So my concern would be that you know, we send the House budget across um, and, uh, and the decisions are made without input of, of, of the full body. Uh, and it comes back and we accept the amendment to our amendment mm -hmm. uh, and the deal's done before there's a, an opportunity to really get down deep enough to see exactly what's there. So um, so I, you know, I want to make sure that, uh, that that we do this thoroughly and completely because there are some disagreements about priorities. Um, so I think a lot of places where we agree, uh, a lot of places where we agree in the House, uh, a lot of places where the House agrees with the Senate, but there are some places where we disagree. And, and, and I want to get into that and let's, let, let's just back into um, the, the budget that you sent over last right. night, 95 to yep. 5. Uh, three Democrats, two Republicans voting against, so it was an overwhelming, uh, you, uh, Delegate Bates, voted for the budget. Um, let's talk about uh, comparing what you've sent over to what the governor presented you. One of the, there were three things in our budget that became priority for us as a body. One was the foster care. The other was the IDD waiver that the governor wanted done, and so did we as a house. And then the other one that uh, kind of cropped up at the end was making sure that the Mountaineer Challenge Academy in Montgomery would be funded so that that operation could get open, uh, hopefully within the, this first sometime later in the fiscal year. That was amended back into the, the house correct. budget yesterday. That was amended back in yesterday. So those three items were the primary focus 
of the extraordinary items that we had would have been over and above the normal process of the budget process. And so with the governor's budget, in order to achieve those uh, additions, those enhancements that the House wanted, um, 45 million were cut from the governor's budget. What he proposed. Yeah, and some of that was right. actually restored in the back. So uh, some of the priorities the governor has actually been put in the back of the budget for um, in the surplus sections. In the, so in he, he's not going to get all he wanted in his introduced budget, but he's going to get more than, than what was originally proposed. Right. Uh, by as long as the economy continues to, uh, and, and it appears through February, as far as the daily revenues are concerned, that they're, they're meeting their expectations. We're still lagging behind the July and August yeah, the July and August numbers that came in the first part of the fiscal year. So they anticipate uh, thinking that the, with uh, March numbers and April numbers that those numbers will come back up. And so as we get through this year and we have funded the items, what we call in the back of the budget, uh, we anticipate or, or we're hoping, let's say, that the economy continues to be on, a, on the right track and, and the items that we put in the back of the budget will be funded in the order that they're put in there. What's, what is your feeling about the, the likelihood that those, um, those state revenues will continue to be consistent and, I think and we're not lag behind? No, I, I think we have to be concerned about what's happening globally right now, too. I mean, the, um, this, this, uh, this issue with this virus mm -hmm. is going to have an economic impact okay. uh, right. nationally, globally. I mean, I, so I think we're treading water. I don't think we're going to lose ground. I mean, I think the under is probably about $50 million. Right. And, and the other thing is, too, uh, we know that at some point this month, um, there should be some kind of a decision on the pipeline work that's been shut down and we've idled a lot of pipeline workers uh, because of that, and that there will be a decision made on that, and we understand that these pipeline workers will probably be going back to work sometime this summer, which is a normal pattern for the, the work w that we have done in West Virginia. The pipeline work has been prior to this. It's normally been June or July before they get here anyway to start work because of the rainy seasons in April and May. Let's talk about some of the things that um, did need to be uh, carved or pulled back um, from the governor's budget. The, his uh, Jobs and Hope program, um, that took... Uh, yeah, it took us, uh, you know, I think we cut it about half, yeah. maybe. And that's part of the Jim's Dream things mm -hmm. that we had in last year's budget. And, uh, and there was a couple of the other line items that... But to be the, able to the, the Mark Train, I just want to well, insert in here while you talk the the Mark Train um, in the Easter Panhandle, that commuter train, the Milton Flood Wall, a couple other projects. Right, and again, because of the the emphasis as uh, as a body, that we decided that foster care and IDD waiver were more uh, needed more oper or opportunity there uh, than than we had to find some place to be able to still do some of these things in these other line items, but not all of it. Yeah, so those projects, um, and in my understanding, those programs should be able to continue with the, with the allocation that they have. And, and those that have been around the Jobs and Hope program speak very positively about the impact that the city is having. So we wanted to ensure there was funding there for that to continue. Um, but it didn't necessarily require that the same level of funding for that to occur uh, when there were other, uh, other funding priorities. I think the biggest disagreement we have is over this, um, how we're using all this Medicaid money. Mm -hmm. um, this was a, this is a, was a major piece of what the governor proposed. Yes. Uh, he 
called it the the family's first uh, Medicaid fund. Yeah, we call it the lockbox. Uh, right? you, you've been terming it the lockbox, sure. which is putting money away. Now, when I talked to the to the two of you at the beginning of this session, you both had question marks about about the you know the validity. Um, yeah, those the, really you know whether it was a prudent thing to yeah. do. They haven't been answered no. yet. And, and the legislation didn't run on the house. So no. there won't be a lockbox. The money will still be in Medicaid. The surplus will still be there. There's still $309 million that will be in Medicaid. It simply doesn't line item it out into a separate uh, allocation somewhere else. And, um, and, and that's really where, where, where there was some divergence and four hours of the discussion last night about, you know, are all the needs in, all the needs in healthcare, all the needs in, in, of West Virginia being met right now, and why are we squirreling our money away when we can support effective programming now? Uh, to be doing things. So that's where our discussion was last night and, and there was a disagreement and, uh, on about 12 amendments that the Democrats offered uh, right. to take portions of that money, not all of it, and, but to put it to work now. Uh, and, our, and our position was that uh, we uh, transferred about 17, 17 million, 17 million in, in and based upon the, on the six-year plan for, for Medicaid is that over the next five years, starting in 20 till 2024, that this excess funds that are there are going to be needed for Medicaid. And the, the 17 that we put in at this point is going to help us get through the year 2024 based on the six-year plan. So we, you know, we took a different view uh, and tried to make the uh, dollars last longer in Medicaid because we're, we're uncertain of where we're going to be as far as the Medicaid program is concerned. You know, you know Feds uh, have an opportunity to adjust that at any time and uh, based upon our population and the heavy use of the Medicaid program, we've got to have those dollars available so that we can keep our people healthy. And again, Delegate Bates, uh, uh, members of your caucus felt that this money would be better used now. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, and certainly the six-year plan for Medicaid doesn't look great, nor does the six-year plan for the state of West Virginia. So, and there are some concerns in the out year, but we disagree with the, the position that was taken to put $17 million additional money into Medicare, uh, sorry, into Medicaid, when there's already $309 million there, and, and we don't fund $100,000 for bulletproof vests for troopers. Delegate Chris, respond to that. Why was that a, uh, a, it, an important it, and necessary thing policy, to do? It was a policy decision that, that, as far as leadership was concerned, that's where we wanted to go. H who? The leadership position. Oh, the leadership. But why 17? I'm just trying well, to... Well, because the number was, in, in the year 2024, the projected deficit was going to be $16 million and some odd dollars. So, uh, based upon that projection of deficit in the Medicaid program. That's why we decided that we wanted to move $17 million now so that at least through the year 2024, we would have the uh, dollars available for Medicaid. You know, you know the um, leadership, uh, Delegate Chris, put out a, um, a, a press release right after all of these amendments were, were proposed yesterday and failed. And um, basically, right down party line, um, Delegate Chris, it, it, it said that, uh, that the Dems wanted to gut $68 million from the Medicaid program to hurt our most vulnerable, that would hurt our most vulnerable. Do you think that's a, a, a fair characteristic of, of what happened um, yesterday? No, I, because I, I, they, they were for domestic violence programs and substance use to disorder programs and veterans. And uh, I, don't, I, I don't think that represents the, the body 
uh, in that statement. Uh, and again, what we were trying to do was prevent uh, a deficit position in a mid-year situation down the road that uh, you know we don't like to have to be called in special session to uh, advance monies or change monies or take monies from uh, investment situations to uh, cover uh, daily operations of the state. And you know we were trying to prevent uh, that from happening down the road. But there's always next year. We can always come back, take a look at it again, and you know, hopefully that the future legislatures will t be uh, prudent in their spending. And uh, if they need those dollars, they'll be there. So, I mean, I, I just, um, you know, I, I think quite simply that crossed the line um, and, and that it was, it was a misstatement and, and, and truth. And the, to be, to be the fair, press to, that was not released that, to my friend, uh, was, was not, uh, he didn't release that release. Yes, yeah. his, yes you were not, you were not mentioned in that. Um, but, but that really wasn't our intention. Our intention was to put that work today to take care of today's problems, right, as opposed to put $16 million into a fund that's, that's, that's already overfunded for a problem that exists in 2024. Um, so the, the Medicaid program is a billion dollar plus program. It, you know, the, the, it's a rounding error, $17 million. It, it's really um, just a question of priorities and we have different priorities. And I think they came out last night. Uh, and, and some of the reason why I believe there was uh, resistance to incorpor incorporating those things is to make sure that the Senate budget and this House budget sinks up as much as possible. Uh, so there, there, I believe there's been some discussion behind closed doors as to make that happen um, rather, relatively quickly before we uh, before we uh, uh, we finish on Saturday night. Now again, we're we're recording this uh, in the middle of the afternoon because of your busy schedule. You're going back into session, so I just want to um, kind of pivot in the few moments that we have left and and look at what's to come in the next uh, day or two or three. <laughs> a lot more bills. <laughs> uh, um, and, and so we've got the foster care bill. It, it looks like it will, um, at least several amendments will be uh, made over in the Senate today. Um, you've mentioned, uh, uh, Delegate Bates, that you see that going to conferees and worked out. I mean, how, Delegate Chris, how, um, I mean, how adamant are you that this gets put into our final budget. Oh, at some form or fashion, it will be in the final budget. Uh, that's the reasons for conference committees. That's reason that you come up with the word compromise and everybody walks away mad, but you come up with a number that eventually everybody will live with. So it'll be an opportunity for whoever the three or five members from the House and the three or five members from the Senate to come together and they'll hammer this out. They know that, they have to. Listen, people also need to understand this, these bills don't stand alone. So the, the other bills have relationships to these. So there are other priorities that the Senate has. You know, we have to take up an intermediate court bill. Uh, the, and the and what about in. that? And and I, I, I mean, I believe that those bills will be leveraged against each other um, and uh, to, to, to ultimately secure their passage that they'll be used as a bargaining chip between the bodies. In the, in the budget conferee uh, negotiations. Process, well, again, there are separate pieces of legislation, but, but the composition of that, that, that committee and, and how, how it's ultimately decided uh, will be worked out by the passage of other pieces of legislation. We're going to take up a bill um, uh, this afternoon that deals with a reduction in B&O tax to a coal-fired uh, coal power plants. Uh, there's a judicial pay raise that's out there as well. So this is not the only the foster care thing uh, is not the only thing out there that, that impacts our budget or is going to be part of the fiscal discussions that go on uh, to try and close this budget uh, by, by midnight on Saturday.
All right, we're going to have to leave it there, gentlemen. Thank you so right. much, Delegate Vernon Chris, Vice Chair of the House Finance Committee, Republican, and Delegate McBates, Minority Chair of the House Finance Committee. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's Red Cross Day at the legislature today. Randy Yoey reports that over the past year, Red Cross volunteers helped nearly 3,000 West Virginians impacted by disaster. He met a few of those volunteers at the Capitol today. Meet Charleston's Roy Grimmett and out of Parkersburg, the Red Cross vested Chip Pickering. These are two of more than 700 West Virginia Red Cross volunteers who work day and night 24-7 in five different lines of service. I don't know if people realize that it's blood, disaster services, international services, service to the armed forces, and training services with CPR and first aid. We know about floods, we know about blood drives. What many don't realize is that 90% of the disasters that the West Virginia Red Cross covers are house fires, somebody's home, somebody's apartment. I found that Red Cross volunteers respond to home fires with a holistic approach. Response has everything to do with immediate sheltering, uh, providing the provisions that they will need to be able to, to get by through the next couple days, and then connecting them with resources to help them put their life back together. These volunteers also come with open hearts, trained to personally care for people suffering an emotional crisis. To let the client know that they're not alone, that I'm just the first person they're going to meet, that I have a great team behind me, and that includes disaster mental health, disaster health services, and spiritual aid. Why did Roy and Chip become volunteers? Both say that the Red Cross mission statement highlights the path of helping others that they both want to travel. Well, you're able to make a big impact on people, help them to uh, help them prepare for and respond to natural disasters. We're going to alleviate human suffering through the power of donations and through volunteer services. That is the real helping power of the Red Cross, measured one dedicated volunteer at a time. I'm Randy Yoey for the Legislature Today. Tomorrow on the Legislature Today, Day 59 promises to be a long one with split sessions here at the Capitol as the clock is ticking on several major bills. We'll have an update on those and the budget in our Friday Reporters Roundtable. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.